Amen. That was a great sermon series in the summer, wasn't it? Did you like that? Did you like the top seven hymns? That was really weak. You're not clapping for me. They did four out of the seven, so that just means you didn't like Davis, Rick, or Louise, or Jared. <laughs> did you like David, Davis, Louise, Rick, and Jared? There you go. And actually, if you have other songs that you had in your list, some of you had lists you showed me and like they didn't make it in the top seven, if you'll give me those songs and send them to me, you might see them go over the course of, of the fall, and we might inclu- inclu- include those in first service in some ways. So if you let me know what those songs are, then I'll be glad to see about weaving those into what we do. Bible app's back. Make sure you save it. It goes away at noon if you don't save it. So make sure you save it when you find it. Who found the Bible app? Raise your hand. Did you find the app? Did you find it? Is it there? Okay, good. Okay. Just making sure. I haven't done it since June. What if I told you there was a drug with no negative side effects that could help you eat healthier, exercise more, experience less depression, and sleep better? How long would it last in the pharmacy? We would flock to our doctors for a prescription like that. Amen? They wouldn't even need a commercial to be able to do that. God bless you. God bless you. The pharmaceutical companies would have a hit. Well, maybe the thing that we need is not a drug, but there is something. It may be as important to your health as your nutrition. What do you think it is? Got any guesses? What do you need more than probably anything else in life to be healthy? What do you think? Water. That's important. Exactly right. Thank you. Thank you for that, James. Love. That's a good one. Prayer. Good. Oxygen. It's good. These are all physical things. God. At least they have a lot of answers, don't they? All right, somebody from the app. Somebody else know any answers from the app? Gratitude. Gratitude. Most of the things that we need the most, you can have water, you can have oxygen, you can have all those things, and your life can be pitiful because that's survival. What? Yeah, but prayer comes later, so we're talking about that later. None of those make G-O-D either. <laughs> that would not be one of the letters. We have a whole sermon series on prayer coming up, actually. So we're going to unveil that here in a little bit. As Stephanie starts it off with the kids, we're going to catch up with them in three weeks. It's gratitude. This whole thing is, you know about God, but do you really know God? But it's not God, G-O-D, the word. It is an acronym. Do you know the three most important things about who God is and how they should influence our lives for God? And those three things will shape the kind of people that we become and the way we live our lives. Just three things that are the most important about what we know about God. About two years ago in the spring, Hannah and I went to something called the Outback. And the Outback is started by the J.H. Ranch out in California. And the Outback is basically, if you want to think about it, like a Emmaus experience for father-daughters, father-sons, mother-daughters, mother-sons. 
and you go together and you do it. There's a big tent, and we meet under the tent, and it's a big thing like that. And, we, and if it had worked out for us, we would have been in smaller tents, but the weather came through and knocked all those down. They put up 100 tents, they all got knocked down. So we stayed in the lodges. But you do all kinds of bonding together as, as, a, as you know, a family unit and also as a group. You have different colored bandanas. Ours were yellow. And, and you do all this stuff. So it's, you leave your phone behind. You leave all that stuff. And you just focus on getting to know each other better. And they give you these bracelets. And these bracelets have G-O-D on them. Mine's worn out. But we actually have some more coming that they gratefully donated. And each one of those stands for something. And I haven't forgotten it in two years. Every time I look at it, it reminds me of the three most important things about knowing God. And so the first one of those is gratitude is the G in knowing God, the series that starts today. That means you can begin thinking about the other two. I'm not going to tell you before we get there but what the other two words might be as we go along this journey together. Let's look at some of the benefits people described as grateful tend to be. They eat healthier. They develop stronger immune systems. They experience more energy. They demonstrate optimism and mental acuity. They cope with stress better. They describe life with higher satisfaction. They exercise regularly. They solve difficult mental challenges easier. They have deeper friendships. They sleep better, have increased self-worth and self-esteem, show increased productivity, and enjoy work and perform better on the job. All these things have been scientifically shown out of folks who identify themselves as being people who are gratitude. Gratitude is a theme we find throughout the Bible. We find it in the Old Testament of the Hebrew Bible. We find it in places like Psalm 100, right? Enter his gates with thanks, enter his courts with praise, thank him, bless him. Thanks, obviously, is the outpour of gratitude, right? Psalm 107.1 that says this, Give thanks to the Lord because he is good, because his faithful love lasts forever. Sounds like a song to me, I don't know. And gratitude in the New Testament appears in several different places in the times of Paul's writings. For instance, Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, he says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, there you go, give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Joy, pray, thanks. He also says to the Ephesians, make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving, what? Thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to the church at Colossae, he talks about this theme three different times in one small passage. He says this, and be what? Thankful people. The words of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And give what? Thanks to God the Father through Him. Three different times in that small passage. 
And if you want to look up gratitude and thanks in the Bible, you're going to find a lot more than that. So obviously, this topic is really important to Paul. And I think he was writing about it so much because it is so easy to lose our gratitude. Amen? It's so easy to lose our gratitude. One writer has said there are four levels of living. People in the lowest level complain constantly. They just never give thanks for anything. These folks are always griping and complaining. Rather than being humbly grateful, they're grumbly hateful. Say it again. Rather than being humbly grateful, they're grumbly hateful. The second level is a tad higher. These are not people who are constantly complaining. They just never give thanks for anything. They take things for granted. And the third level are those who thank God for the obvious blessings when things are going good and everything is fine. But when circumstances change, they begin to blame and bemoan. But the fourth level, the highest level, are those who give thanks always for all things. That's the attitude that will change your life. It's the attitude of gratitude that Paul was trying to cultivate in the early Christians. Remember early in my, in my ministry when I was still in seminary and I was serving in Athens near, uh, well, near Athens in Statham, in Athens, Georgia, we were at a, a clergy meeting. I still remember this. And we're sitting there and the pastor of one of the larger churches, St. James, it was in town, was talking about his mother had just passed away. And he's in tears. But as he's saying how much he's going to miss her, he says, God is great. God is good. Even in the midst of that, he still gave thanks to God. That was very powerful for me. It made me think about that. And I've always thought about that. I've long forgotten his name, but I remember what he said. I wonder if he even would even know that what he said that day would impact me 25 years later. And so Paul's trying to cultivate this in the early Christians. Give thanks in all things, gratitude. And there's one particular circumstance that was unfolding in the church in Philippi. And Paul was talking about that when he addressed his letter to them in chapter 4 of Philippians. And that's where we're going to land today if you're looking for a scripture to land in your Bible. Philippians chapter 4. Paul actually starts his letter off, though, by talking to him about five gratitude killers. Five things that kill gratitude. You might look at this like a family reunion at Thanksgiving dinner. Who loves getting their family all together at Thanksgiving and... You know, everybody decides to get along really well and nobody has any arguments. And some of you love it, some of you dread it. Well, this is the family reunion when everybody gets together and it's not the one that you love. But you still love them. And some families dread these means because disruption that occurs and happens because you just you know, know what somebody's going to do. And so this is the church family in Philippi. They're getting ready to meet again and they have a problem that needs to be addressed. And so Paul is writing to them for their Thanksgiving dinner. 
So here are five gratitude killers that can ruin your attitude. Ready? The first gratitude killer is distraction. Say distraction. That means you're actually still with me and not distracted. There will be a baby that cries all the time in service. There will be people moving around next to you. They will leave and go to the bathroom. There will be a million things that happen. You don't have to be lemmings and watch them all the way when they do something. Stay focused. Every Sunday I have to do it. I have to ignore the fire truck going by or anything else. Just keep going. You push it out of your mind. It's the same way in life. When you get distracted is when you forget what gratitude is. The number one gratitude killer is distraction. He begins Philippians 4.1. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and miss, who are my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm. Focus. Stay on track. Don't let yourself get moved away. If you're ADHD, keep as focused as possible. Distraction. So Paul tells the church of Philippi to stand firm, which means to be unified. To be unified. Stand together. But what was causing this unity? There was a distraction going on in the church. Distractions can eat up the unity of the church. Amen? If you're not focused and you're all over the place like a bunch of squirrels, then pretty soon it becomes really hard to stay on track. Believe me, being the pastor of a church is like herding cats. And you don't herd cats. I have three of them. They do not like to be heard. Amen? They don't want to be herded. But there's so many distractions that can happen and pull apart the unity of a church. In this case, the distraction with disagreement over something. We're never told disagreement is. It doesn't lay that out. In other letters, like the letter of the church in Corinth, we're told there's a variety of problems, and he lists them all. These are all the problems you have. Here are the problem and disagreement, but we're not really sure what it is, and the distraction is not addressed by Paul. So it can't, but it was serious enough that Paul named names. So he did say who is having the disagreement. So they did get called out because that was important for whatever reason to get to the heart of it. So the gratitude killer number two is entitlement. Say entitlement. Entitlement. Because he goes on to say this, I urge Eudocia and I urge Cynthia to come to an agreement in the Lord. Yes, and I'm also asking you, loyal friend, to help these women. Who the loyal friend is, we have no idea. It doesn't say who that is. Maybe one of his companions. There's many of them. Who have struggled together with me in the ministry of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the scroll of life. So he's just called out two people in his church who are having a disagreement. And it must be big enough to cause a lot of problems. There are actually four groups that are disagreement about this thing happening in the church. That happens a lot. You get two sides, then other folks take other different sides. And so you have four disagreements happening. But usually there are two groups that disagree with each other. We see it in politics... All the time, Democrats versus Republicans, independents get thrown to the side. We don't really care about them. We see it in our theology. We see it between being progressive and centrist and traditional, and the centrist in the middle get run over. 
Be prepared to get a beating if you're a centrist like I am in the middle between two groups that are warring it out with each other. We see it in every form of life. Every part of our life, what we see is this, you know. We see it Ford versus Chevy. And then Dodge is over here somewhere. I'm sorry. I apologize. But for the man who works. But the thing is, we, all, we like to choose sides almost. We find our identity in choosing sides more than our unity in coming together. We have absolutely no idea what the problem was between these two. However, based on the fact that Paul does not provide direct correction and doesn't take a side, we can assume it wasn't a moral question. It wasn't that kind of question of doctrinal issue. So it wasn't something like that. It was something like, we don't like the color of the carpet. How many church bowsmen fought over changing the color of the carpet in the sanctuary over the years? We don't like the times of worship. We don't like the preacher's hairstyle. Well, guess what? You didn't have any hair right now at all, so you can't really decide a style. It was really long before I left, though. We pick all these things that go against each other in our classes and in our small groups and in our churches that we decide pick and choose. I don't like I don't like praise music. I don't like traditional music. I don't like having that up there. I don't like robes. I don't like I like robes. We go back and forth again, and again, and again about all this kind of stuff. You have too many things on the altar. You don't have enough. I, I don't care. This is how I feel inspired by God to do different things. And it's one of the gifts that I have, so I use it. Yeah, it goes overboard sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. All of us have all kinds of things like that. But we, we pick and choose these things about what you think is important. you think any of what I just said is important? If anything that I just said is important? It's not. But these are the kind of things that we like to do in the church, and Paul was facing that. But it seems that everyone there felt like they were entitled to their opinion. So that's the entitlement. We all feel like we're entitled to our opinion. So, you know, I can make sure I share my opinion on Facebook to the numerous you know, ways that I can do that ad nauseum. I want to see pictures of your food and of your friends and of your family. That's what I want to see on Facebook. I don't want to see your political position. I don't want to see anything else besides the stuff that makes you who you are when you're smiling and happy in that. And if you're down with something or you're going through something, I want to share that with you. I don't want to see your 14th post about gun control. I don't want to see you talk about the president positively or negatively. I don't want to see any of it. That's not why I'm there. In my next door neighborhood, you know, my next, next door neighborhood deal, I took on somebody because they were always constantly complaining. And I said, look, it's not the place to do that. you got a problem with the alder, aldermen? Go talk to them. It's not your place on Facebook to complain about the trash collection. It's your job to go figure it out or go take care of it somehow. You complain to me about what you want to see happen does nothing to change what happens, does it? Nothing. And so if you're not a part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Because unless you can bring something to me and say, well, I have a way to fix this, I'm like, well, if you don't have a way to fix it, then stop complaining about it. This is what Paul is saying to them. Whatever's happening there 
is being so disruptive it's starting to cause major problems in the church. So much so that it's got Paul's attention. He has to actually do this. I can imagine Paul as the pastor who sits in his office and all of a sudden gets all this stuff coming in from these different churches from all over the place and he's going, oh my gosh, what is going on now in Corinth? I can't believe it. I just put a fire out there two weeks ago and they're already back at it. What is wrong with these people? Don't they know Jesus? Because... All these letters are all about that. They are about problems that Paul is trying to take care of as the pastor of all these congregations. So think about that. Every one of these letters is about that for the most part. Sometimes written from prison when they're complaining and he's sitting there while he's getting ready to die and they're complaining about the person next to them. Think about that. And so this agreement was, it was a serious one. That's all we know. Gratitude killer number three, disappointment. Say disappointment. Disappointment. That's the third gratitude killer. Which is why he says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. What? Rejoice. Be glad in other translations. Why do you think he says it's the middle of the letter? We like that verse a lot, but we don't look at the rest of it. Because... They're not rejoicing. They're not full of joy. They are disappointed. There are things going on. Why would Paul tell the church to rejoice after he addresses a personal conflict? Because when you have conflicts or disagreements and they don't get resolved, the circumstances leave you disappointed. When there's a conflict, disagreement, and it's not resolved, I mean, you know... We're, you know, what, a week away, two weeks away now from mass shootings. Nothing's happened. One way or the other. Well, we might talk about it in a couple of months. We're not going to call back to Congress together or anything to discuss it. We're just going to wait until after the summer's over and our break and we're going to come back and we'll maybe address something. That's how it works. Both are political parties. See, I've had to really wrestle the last couple of weeks with, you know, I've really been hurt by the fact is I don't know what to do. Most of my pastor friends talked from last Sunday about what to do. What do we do in that morning? My, one of my friends changed her whole sermon. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't preaching anyways. But it's still the same thing. Prayers and thoughts don't cut it. You can say, well, I'm not for gun control. Okay, that's fine. But there are a list of things you might be for, like mental health and increasing that. Or making it at least so that people who have mental health problems can't get guns or whatever it might be but everybody says well it's not this and then my first question is well then what is it do you really think we can go on in the country like this and continue to do this again and again and again and again we are so immune to it until 26 of your families get attacked in here and Lester's no longer here and James is no longer here for his daughter and his wife and his newborn is not even here yet and then all of a sudden, I bet it'll get real, real in this congregation with what they want to do and what they decide to do. Right now, it's in Texas somewhere. It's a school shooting over here. It's the kids who graduated and said, I can't believe that I survived my entire school career without a shooting in my school. They actually said that. Don't tell me what the answers are not. Tell me what the answers are. Because I'm disappointed. 
I'm disappointed in the fact is that we can't seem to do anything to protect anybody. That there's no good answers. This is a problem. Our conflict disagreements. I read an article a couple weeks ago that it is true, factually, statistically true. We are getting less tolerant as a people, as a whole. Where we once we could disagree before and be in the same place, we now become less and less tolerant of anybody who doesn't agree with us. It's happening. What do we do about that? It can be a real gratitude killer, being disappointed when things don't get resolved. You become less thankful because you're disappointed. You're just focused on the fact is of it, you know, how bad it is. And you begin to lose the sense of that. And that leads to the next gratitude killer then. Gratitude killer number four is unkindness. Say unkindness. Philippians 4, 5. I love this passage because it has all of this laid out. Paul was a mastermind. Because he lays all this out. You want to talk to me about particularly, like, I can't find anything in the Bible that I can live into. Can I have some real practical stuff? Well, here it is. Go grab Philippians 4, start living it out. Come back to me when you got it done. Because this right here will keep you going for a lifetime. I'm fired up, people. I had a break during the summer. Philippians 4, he says this, Let your what? Your gentleness show in your treatment of all people the Lord is near. Not let your opinion show. Not let your anger show. Your disdain or whatever else. Let your what? Your gentleness. Let your gentleness show. Paul is trying to cheer this church up. Come on, guys, stop fighting. Why are you fighting all the time? There is so much more that we agree on that we're against, and you just keep fighting. What is so important about this thing that you want to keep fighting about it? This distraction has caused so much difficulty. People are feeling discouraged, disappointed. Remember, it's these two that are fighting it out. And you know what happens is? The two that are fighting it out don't mind fighting it out. Everybody else gets caught in the crossfire. Amen? Ever had that happen? Friends take sides. People choose. Other folks are just kind of like, I'm tired of getting hit from both sides. Can you just leave me alone? And disappointment can easily lead someone to be unkind. You know how grouchy someone gets when they are discouraged or disappointed. Amen? When you want to get something or do something and you can't do it, you get disappointed. You get discouraged. And you take it out and everybody else around you. Right? Your football team loses... The Bengals are no good this year. Well, that's true, but yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> it hurts, I know, it does. But you get discouraged. And it's funny because some people are so very much about that that when their team loses, they're, they're upset the whole rest of the day. Right? We all struggle with that, right? If our team loses. <laughs> day's the worst day I ever had. It's a football game. I love football. It's a basketball game. Kentucky over there. It's basketball. It's basketball. It's basketball. So Paul reminds people to be kind. Be kind. We have shirts that say kindness matters. 
our new shirt when I get to him. I'm trying to figure the design out. She needs to say kindness matters somewhere. People who come in and feed the need need to see that kindness matters because people are not kind to them sometimes in all kinds of ways because they are poor, because they are needy, because they ask for things that maybe they don't deserve. Does that mean you're not kind to somebody because they don't deserve something? That person on the street should get a job. Really? That's your first reaction of what you want to be. We had somebody here my first couple of years who we had a couple that was standing out the corner. They were a Hispanic couple that were here. Some of you might remember this. They were stood out the corner. One of my folks actually went out there and told them to get a job. And to that person's credit, they came to me and they said, I went out there and told them to get a job. And I'm like, you did what? And this is what I said. I said, that really isn't the right way. I said, really, your first thing would be about them. Did you ask them if they needed food? Did you offer something to them to get them by? Did you go out of gratitude and out of helping someone first? I said, you need to go back out there and make it right. My biggest thing as a pastor is not what you do that's wrong. We do things wrong all the time. I make mistakes. You make mistakes. It happens to us. We're not perfect. But the problem is we don't do anything with it to make it right. If you ever heard me, what I say is, I don't care what you've done that's wrong. I care that you make it right. Go make it right. And that person actually did. That was hard. You see, we, we do a lot of this stuff as if, if you could be anything in, in the world, then you can be what? Kind. It's a great phrase. If we can be anything, then be kind. You don't have to believe, agree, or do anything but you can be kind. It costs you nothing. Amen? And people in the church sometimes are the most unkind people to each other especially. And they tear each other apart and then pretend somehow they're following the words of Christ because that's their position. There is no word of Christ that overcomes being kind. You can speak the truth, but you speak the truth in what? Love. And that doesn't mean speaking your truth. Or your opinion. Gratitude killer number five is worry. Worry. Say worry. How many worriers I got in here? Got a lot of worriers? Yeah, got some worriers in here. So listen up. Philippians 4, 6. Once again, Paul's like covering everything. It says what? Don't worry about anything. Did it miss anything? Don't worry about anything except. Don't worry. The famous stress researcher Hans Sale claims that two attitudes more than any other influence the quality of everyday life. And on these two emotions depend our peace of mind, our feelings of security or insecurity, of fulfillment or frustration, in short, the extent to which we can make a successful life. The most destructive emotion is revenge. But in contrast, among all the other emotions... There is one which more than any other accounts for the absence or presence of stress in human relations, and that is the feeling of gratitude. The rest of that, of that verse, rather, bring up all of your requests to God in what, Ethel? Prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Don't worry, instead you do these things. Instead of worrying, he says. You see, gratitude is an attitude. When you relate and are in relationships with others, 
It helps to have a healthy dose of gratitude. Paul's name with the conflict is? That means the argument must not have really mattered. Otherwise, he would have answered and said something one way or the other. It wasn't worth getting worried about losing your joy. Instead, it was more important to take the matter to prayer, he's saying, and be thankful. That's what he's saying. This is not an important issue. You guys need to pray about this and be thankful about being together and being, and being in gratitude with one another. I don't think Paul needed to name the problem because the conflict it was not important. And these two women make it a mountain out of a molehill. You ever made a mountain out of a molehill? No, never. You're so good, Debbie. It was more important that Paul shows them they had more to be thankful for than what they thought they needed to be right about. Amen? They had more to be thankful for than what they thought they needed to be right about. We love to be right so much and be in the right and, you know, I'm going to follow the right way. Well, when you find the exact right way because you know Jesus' heart and his mind and you know God completely, you let me know what the right way is. Because every day I struggle to figure out what the right way is. And know I go to, go to find out the right way? I look through Scripture and at Jesus' words about how he dealt with things and how he took care of conflicts. Jesus never sat around and going, you know what? You are right. You were wrong. Now you walked them through it. Each of the story. To help them to be able to see where they were and where they should be. So instead of arguing about finding out who is wrong and who is right, we need to be more thankful about what God has done for us. You know, praying about the conflict that can lead to be more thankful and less spiteful. And it applies not only in the church, but in our families and in all of our connections across the board, you see and other circumstances. And so you might be saying, why is gratitude the key? Because gratitude and thankfulness are the opposite of worry. And worry leads you down a bad path. It's a way to peace and a positive outlook. And if you're at peace and have a positive outlook, then everything else results out of that. And so Paul even tells us in the same passage three direct results of having an attitude of gratitude. The first is this. Peace. Say peace. Verse 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus when you have this attitude. Instead of worrying, one can have gratitude and have peace. And where does that peace come from? Knowing God. Peace can only come from God. It doesn't come from us. And the peace of God can protect your mind and your heart. It has a soothing effect. Second is positive self-talk. Verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Now most folks look at this verse and think this is a command or an instruction. That's one way to see the verse if it's in isolation. Remember, we're not looking at isolation this verse. We're looking at the whole thing. It flows from the attitude that Paul suggests that we have a couple of verses earlier. Gratitude leads to peace. And this peace leads to positive attitudes that result in positive actions. Third is positive role modeling. Philippians 4.9 Practice these things. Whatever you learned, received, heard, or saw in us. Positive self-talk leads to a positive attitude that allows for positive results. 
This gratitude, peace, and positive attitude is to be passed down to others. When you find this, then you go out and take it to somebody else. It's not just for you. The peace that you have that surpasses all understanding has to go out to other people so they can begin to find that as well. Notice first the peace of God in verse 7 helps to bring about the positive self-talk. And then here when one has the right attitude that comes from right learning, it leads to the God of peace. Do you want to experience better relationships with other people? Do you want to see peace in your life? Remember, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Peace and a positive outlook are the results of the attitude of gratitude. And when you are thankful, you look at things differently. So lastly, how do we cultivate an attitude of gratitude? Here are five ways to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. First, write it down. Write it. Keep a gratitude journal. Try it for 30 days. Be specific about what you are thankful for. Watch how your thoughts develop over time. You may start out simply, but when you add stories and color, it becomes more powerful. Write down the things you are grateful for. This is almost every culture and every religion, even the Dalai Lama says, when you practice gratefulness, there is a sense of respect towards others. Two, talk it. Talk about it. Share what you are thankful for isn't just for Thanksgiving and going around the table. Let's all share now what we are thankful for. Most folks make fun of it and joke about it. It's not really a joking thing. You really should do it. We don't know how to do how to be thankful. Maybe we should practice more than one time a year at Thanksgiving, figuring out how to be grateful and thankful. Make it a habit to talk about what you're grateful for all year long. It will reinforce your feelings. W. Clement Stone said, if you're really thankful, what do you do? You share it. Third, pray it. Whether you regularly meditate and pray or not, take a break a few times a day. Focus on a spirit of thankfulness in your prayer. Who are you thankful for? Bring the person to mind. Imagine your life surrounded with blessings. William Arthur Ward said, God gave you a gift of 86,400 seconds today. Have you used one of them to say thank you? Fourth, express it. Find that teacher who made a difference in your life. Tell him or her. Write a personal note. Tell a long-lost friend what they meant to you. Tell somebody around you how important, how grateful you are for them. And then fifth, seek it. If you want to find gratitude, get around people with that characteristic. Some people you know just bubble over with enthusiasm and gratitude for life. Seek them. Be around them. Don't hang around the complainers because it's contagious. And it will take away your joy. You know who these folks are who love life and are grateful for everything, even in the midst of their sadness and their loss. Chuck Swindoll said, Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. You can become bitter or better for everything that happens to you in life. It's your decision. It's your choice. So knowing our God requires us to know that G stands for gratitude.
Every time we come to this table, we should be grateful. Grateful for a God who would come in human form and live like us and, and the good and the bad ways. Be subjected to things that no one should be subjected to and would die for us. Even when his friends abandon him and don't show up to support him. This God will allow his bones to be broken and given for us. And for his blood to be spilled out for each one of us to know his presence, to know exactly how much he did love us and does love us. And so we come here grateful, grateful to receive this. Once again, why we don't take it either. We don't take the bread, the body of, we don't take it. It's given to us. It's a gift. We receive it. We're so grateful to know that God would love us so much that we receive it. And we offer that grace to others because if that grace is important to us, it is meant to be shared as his blood was shared with us. So I invite you to think about what gratitude looks like in your life and what part of these things are the killers that might be affecting you and what are the three things you can take on and what are the five things you can try. Because there's so much that can be done with gratitude and having that knowing God and knowing God is a God of gratitude and that we should be grateful for all God has given us. Let those who are coming forward to serve come forward as we pray over these elements. Gracious God, may this bread and this juice become for us just a reminder of your great love for us. We're just so grateful. You continue to be involved in our lives not just once but forever. And so, Lord, we just come to receive, come to receive your love and to share that love with others. Let us come with grateful hearts and thankful hearts. Let us give you the blessings forever. As you pour out these things, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let them be blessed in you now. People of God said together, Amen. Come and receive with a heart of gratitude this morning. The body of Christ broken and given for you in love. The body of Christ broken and given to you in love. The body of Christ broken and given to you in love. The body of Christ broken for you and given to you in love. The body of Christ broken and given to you in love. The body of Christ broken and given to you in love.
every time I see this, you'll know all three by the end of this, I look at it, I remember the three words. So those times when those killers are trying to get to me, then I, then I look down at it the same way. And the other two words are powerful as, as the first. And they all kind of build off of each other as well. So I hope over the next couple of weeks we begin to know what it really means to know our God. The simple gospel. To rejoice. Be thankful. To bring prayers and petitions in all things. Rejoice. Be thankful. Let gratitude be your attitude. Amen.